I'm Dave Monaco, Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to From My Angle. Great. Welcome to From My Angle. Steve Farmer, Executive Vice Provost of Enrollment and Undergraduate Admissions here at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm glad to be home, as I call it, somewhat in Carolina, having spent 16 years here. And it's uh, a campus whose uh, grounds I've walked uh, many times during my, my tenure in North Carolina. Great to be back in Tar Heel State, even though your squad suffered a tough defeat yesterday. We're recording this the day after uh, the, the Aggies of Texas A&M took out UNC. But uh, uh, We lost to a great team. Yeah, they played well. They, they played very well. And welcome home. Welcome th- back. Thank you. And uh, thank you for taking some time in a really uh, busy and hectic uh, time of year for admissions officials across the country as you get ready to send your decisions out. So um, my parents and, and the community that listens to the podcast back in Dallas know that I've been traveling to universities throughout the year, throughout the Claremont Colleges in the fall. And uh, up at Northwestern as well. And so I've been really to private institutions. And so in these last two visits, uh, last week, uh, and now with you, I've finally gotten to some public universities and public institutions. Uh, and they have distinctly different uh, missions and governance structures and modes of operation. And uh, Carolina's, I think, is a particularly compelling one. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the mission of UNC Chapel Hill as it relates to its service as the University of the State, if you would just introduce that to our families. No, glad to. Well, you know, um, institutions are more than one thing always. You know, no place is one thing only and the same is true for UNC. So we're a, we're a research university, we're a global university, um, we're a university that's very interested in, in solving problems, not just here in North Carolina, but for our country and for our world. So in all those ways, and we have, we have great students here, we have really smart faculty members here. So in some ways we have a lot in common with um, great institutions no matter where you might go and no right. matter which ones you might, you might talk with. We are different though in the sense that the, the public identity of this place is something that's never far from anyone's mind. You know, we, we do much of what we do, most of what we do, almost all of what we do, with an eye towards our identity as a public institution. You know, we were founded as the first public institution in the country. We know there's another school that likes to compete for the title. And, you know, uh, first or second, You're we're still great. early. Um, My wife but, went to that one, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, Mary. It's, it's yeah. An, another wonderful place. But, the, <laughs> you know, the notion that uh, school should serve the many and not the few, right. that, that we, we're here really not to make our own lives better but to enrich the lives of all mm-hmm. uh, people take that seriously here yeah so the things that we do here are designed of course to serve students well when they come to us but they're also designed to serve students well whether they come to us or not yep. and they're they're designed to enrich the lives of people across the state whether they ever set foot in chapel hill or whether they spend four years or 40 years with us and Again, that's always top of mind for us. We think about it a lot. We yep. think about it in the admissions office. The faculty members here think about it. We think about it in our public service mission and the outreach that we do across the state. We think about it in health care. We think about it in economic development. We think about it in the way that we talk with young people about what our education can mean for them, whether they choose this place or someplace else. But there are some very far from our minds. And there are some very practical um, elements of that when it comes to how you accept students. For example, you serve all 100 counties in the, in the state, 
right? Uh, and that's a, an outreach that's part of your mission. You uh, take, uh, by state uh, legislation, you take 82% of your students uh, each year and your 4,500 or so that you'll accept in a freshman class are gonna be, 82% uh, of them are gonna come from state, 18% will come from outside the state. So those create some real, as we were talking about, some, some uh, constraints and some opportunities that are unique to your admissions work than there may be to other state flagship universities like the University of Texas's or the University of Florida's, the University of California's or New York State's uh, very well-known uh, public university system. Maybe you can speak to those a little bit. We, every state does higher education a little bit differently. Right. Um, the circumstances are different from state to state. There are plenty of public universities in this country now, maybe not plenty, but more than a few, that, that draw half or more of their students from outside their states right. because they don't feel that they can do what they need to do for their states if they focus on students from their states. That's a different point of view from the one we have here. You know, the, the, the university system in North Carolina has the policy about 82% of the first year class being from North Carolina. So it's it's a board of governors system policy rather than a legislation, mm. rather than legislation, but it has the effect of legislation. Probably, yeah. And um, if anyone ever tried to change it, they'd probably be in full fight. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the constraint is that um, the world's a bigger place than North Carolina. Right. There are a lot of wonderful people from all over the world. We want them here too. And sometimes we have to say no to more than we'd like. Mm -hmm. In fact, we always have to say yeah. no to more than we'd like because we have to focus on North Carolina. Yeah. The opportunity for us is that, you know, we're able to enroll, first of all, the best students from North Carolina. And we're able to enroll students who have a lot in common from the point of view of their aptitude, their capacity to find common cause with one another, their wanting to move forward in their lives and help other people move forward. So they've got those things in common. But in many ways, they're really different from one another. Yeah. And you know, I think we have a lot more heterogeneity here at Chapel Hill because of our commitment to North Carolinians than we would if we were less committed to North Carolina. And I know that's counterintuitive. It seems, it seems maybe the opposite of the way it should be. But it really is the truth. You know, the, the fact that we have young people from the wealthiest, most sophisticated, most highly educated, parts not only of North Carolina but of the country who are North Carolinians living learning studying mm -hmm. alongside kids who grow up living hand-to-mouth in communities that themselves are living hand-to-mouth that's a great asset for us yes. and it's a great asset for all of our students it's a, it's you know, a true richness each of those two students has something to learn from the other yep. and we like that we're able to put them in the same classroom in the same residence hall in the same club and then watch the magic happen. Yeah, watch them come together. The um, reality for all state universities, however, over the last decade or so has been the constriction of funds coming from state governments and that's created a, a challenge which is again different than a private university faces as in my case, Parrish gets dollars from tuition whereas the local public schools are uh, beholden to the to, to the state dollars that come to them. So uh, has the school, the university had to wrestle with, with that over this last decade and how, if in any ways, that changed the texture of what you do here on, on campus? Well, we have, I mean, really over the last 15, 16 years. Yeah. You know, we're still treated really well by the people in North Carolina, by the legislature, especially compared to other places. Mm -hmm. So we still um, have a significant share of our operating budget Yep. Um, given to us really by the people in North Carolina. So it's waiters and waitresses and factory workers and 
people who are selling clothes at Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, those people are sacrificing so that we can have the university, and we're grateful for their sacrifice and the support that they provide. All that aside, it's true, we're living with less from the state than we would have had 15 years ago. And we've had to get smarter at how we do our work. We've had to get better at stretching a dollar. We've had to get more creative at where we find our funding. Yeah. I think we've been able pretty much here to insulate students from the impact of budget cuts. You know, students here, um, as we've gotten less in state support and as we've had to tighten our belts, our graduation rates actually have gone through the roof. So it's not as though students are waiting around to get the courses that they need in order to earn their degrees. We've figured out how to organize ourselves to improve even as we've been working with less. Yeah, which is, There's which, a limit at some point to how far that can go. And there are times, of course, when we'd like to have a few more dollars, either to put into the pockets of our students through financial aid, although we still provide great financial aid to yeah. students, yes. or just to hire a few more faculty members in, in areas where we think the future might be leading us. So yeah. increasingly, that's um, those kinds of investments, those kind of commitments are coming about as a result of private support. Yeah, and, and you know, quickly, we can, we can wrap up with that because I do want to touch on how you've, it hasn't curtailed your ambitions, but I do think it's worth making the point that the state universities, uh, I have a son at Texas A&M, it's the, the case in New York State where I, was, where I was born, the state universities offer tremendous value to the in-state residents because of the richness of resource and their capacity to create uh, tremendous uh, research opportunities, diversity and interaction with a, a broad range of students, both globally and within the state. So they are a terrific value for families to look at as it, they discern college choice. It's a screaming deal, it, really, here for North Carolina. It, you know, it, a, a year of tuition here, yeah. required tuition and fees are less than a year of daycare, a lot less than a yeah. year of daycare. You know, I. Um, have a junior who's a student here in my household and a first-year student from my household who's a student here. And it's the best gift a North Carolinian parent could ever get, actually. I feel grateful for it every single I day. Yeah. Um, you know, when we do their budgets, we think, you know, we could be paying, we couldn't be paying, but we would have to come up with three or four times, times the amount of absolutely. money that we're providing to our kids so that they can get a world-class education. And I, I promise you, I'm grateful for it, and I think other people are. Well, as we close, I think what I'd like you to speak to, again, on this notion of, of unbridled ambition, even or misconstraint, is, and I would urge our families interested in Carolina to, to go to the webpage and look at the Carolina Next uh, Strategic Plan. But if you had to identify two to three things out of that plan, and there's there's a wealth of information in there around uh, changing te teaching methodologies, uh, around uh, the, the research opportunities that the, the university is looking to do around cross-disciplinarity and, and entrepreneurship that it's looking to burgeon. But if there were two or three things about Carolina Next and where you see the university going over the next decade to decade and a half that excite you from the seat that you sit in, what would those two or three things be? You know, the, the, really the beating heart of our strategy is to stay public. You know, at, at, at the heart of our strategic plan is for us to remain of the public and for the public. And that's not a simple matter. It's not an easy thing mm -hmm. to do. And it's not, it's not a simple matter knowing what that means anymore. So, you know, I think one of the things that is really exciting to me about the strategic plan is having our, our faculty, our staff, our students, our alumni, all putting our heads together about what it really means to be a public university today. Mm. 
as opposed to um, the public university we were 50 years ago or the public university we were 225 mm -hmm. years ago. Times have changed, this place has changed, our students have changed, mm -hmm. our people need something different from us. So we're excited about thinking through um, what that means. And one of, one of the things that it will mean probably is how do we extend something of what we have to more people that are currently able to take advantage of what we offer. Mm -hmm. How do we extend learning yep. to every corner of North Carolina, every corner of the country, all over the world? Even for those people that can't walk step foot here in Chapel Hill. Yes, right. we don't We don't ever want to harm the residential core right. of the university because students need to come here. They need to learn with one another. They need yep. to live alongside one another. For sure. They get to be frustrated by one another. They need that and work through their frustrations. They need to figure out how to make something of the of, of all of the different people life will throw their way yeah. on our campus. Right. But there are other ways for us to extend a share of that to people who don't have the opportunity to come to this campus, yeah, and we're really sure. excited about figuring that out. I think the other thing that's really exciting to most of us, actually, as we're thinking about the strategic plan, is you know, how, do we, how do we not only extend learning beyond Chapel Hill, but how do we, how do we solve problems? The, the problems that are threatening our people or the problems that are holding our people back. How do we turn the great engine of the university towards a hurting world, towards a hurting state? Um, and you know, we've always been pretty good at that, I think. But it's, it's exciting to think about new opportunities to partner with communities, mm -hmm. to partner with companies, yeah. to partner with people who are trying to do good work in the world, and to have us be a part of their solution. Um, so we're excited about that as yeah, well. Those are two fantastic, um, fantastic opportunities, and, and I think uh, things that you're all well positioned uh, to do here on this beautiful, uh, beautiful campus. So I hope you in Dallas, if you haven't had a chance to, to do the circuit of the Mid Atlantic schools, uh, that you make it making an opportunity to stop by Chapel Hill, walk down Franklin Street, and see this beautiful campus, and more importantly, read uh, some more about the really dynamic programming that's uh, unfolding here. So, Mr. Farmer, thank you for your time. It's been great to be with you today. My pleasure. Thanks thank for you. you. Thank you. Uh, part two of the From My Angle podcast from UNC Chapel Hill. Just finished with Steve Farmer, and I'm sitting here with Chuck Loveless, director of the Moorhead Kane Foundation. Uh, and before um, we get into the conversation, Chuck, I need to let our Dallas uh, and Parish community know, anybody else listening beyond the Dallas and Parish community, of my great gratitude to be sitting here with you. It was 25 years ago, July uh, uh, 1993, that I came to North Carolina to Raleigh to Ravenscroft School to start a educational nonprofit called Wake Summer Bridge, and it wasn't but probably a couple of years after that that uh, because of uh, the, the Summer Bridge program's national affiliation with the uh, Moorhead Foundation at the time, you and I got correct, you know, connected. You sat on my advisory board. You were uh, a huge mentor to me at that time, and I've chapel homilized to our kids at Parrish this year on the power of mentors and that uh, mentors hold up windows and mirrors to those that they uh, that they serve and sometimes mentors are with you for a short part of your journey other times mentors stay with you for a long period of time but regardless of how long a time they spend they're very powerful so I thank you for that and I'm so glad to um, be able to sit with you here today and talk a little bit about the Moorhead Kane Foundation well it's great to reconnect and you give me more credit than, I, than Stu but we, uh, we had a lot of fun back then when you worked really hard to get that program up and running and made, made it into something that the whole Summer Bridge Collaborative were, were 
proud of. Well, it was a great, a great experience, as you and I have talked about earlier today. It was a formative experience for me in, in, uh, in my life and, uh, and, and one that still resonates uh, some 20-plus some years later. But um, coming to, to, to Chapel Hill, coming back to Chapel Hill and, and being here today and having a chance to talk with Steve, I think laid out some global things about the university, which are fantastic. But uh, the Moorhead Kane Foundation is, uh, and the Moorhead Scholars Program is an amazing one, and, and I think it's really um, uh, helpful for our families to understand its history and what it does for the 70 or so uh, students that get uh, admitted to it each year and, and what their four-year journey through that program is like here uh, at, at, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. So why don't we just start with a little history of the of the foundation itself. You have been directing it for 31 years. You've been here at the foundation for 34, so you certainly can speak uh, to its, uh, its long history. Well, I, I think uh, for starters, we were the we consider ourselves to be the first undergraduate merit scholarship program in the country, and by merit I mean really where you know financial need is not considered, and, and we're really looking for. Uh, we've really modeled ourselves after the Rhodes Scholarship mm, at Oxford. That's right. We, we borrowed from their playbook on an undergraduate level. The trustees actually went over and visited with those wow. people, and they very helpful to us. So what was the year of inception? So the, the program actually got started in 1951. The foundation started in 1945, but uh, it took us a couple years to uh, get the program up and running. And for the historians among us, John Motley Moorhead? Uh, John Motley Moorhead was a chemist by training, and he um, studied here at UNC. He um, was heavily involved in the commercialization of acetylene gas and calcium carbide, which became about a third of the original Union Carbide. And so he didn't have any children, considered uh, considered the program to be his uh, lasting legacy on mm. the university and on, and on the state and on the region for that matter. But and when you come to Chapel Hill to, to look at, at UNC, as I hope you will, uh, the Moorhead Foundation Office, Moorhead Kane Foundation Office sits adjacent to, in fact, really in the building of the Moorhead Planetarium, which you can also uh, go visit, and it's a wonderful spot which school children throughout uh, the Carolinas come to uh, each year. Yeah, so the the way that Uncle Mott, as we uh, <laughs> refer to him, uh, the way that he felt like he could last, uh, excuse me, leave a lasting uh, impact on campus was to bring really bright, talented student leaders to campus. So the emphasis has always been on leadership and mm -hmm. character, mm -hmm. and our students uh, our students come here for a four-year undergraduate education. They, uh, uh, the, the thing that's different about our scholarship is really the engagement sort of year-round on personal development. Right. And they're really trying to uh, make sure that they have uh, college experiences that are beyond the classroom and, and beyond the uh, sort of typical extracurriculars on campus. So prior to coming to Chapel Hill, they go through an outbound or National Outdoor Leadership course for mm -hmm. three to four weeks in the summer between high school and matriculating here. Yep. Um, and uh, that gives them a really great transition from, you know, from what they've been, you know, who they have been and what they want to do, and it just really allows them to, to make a nice break. Um, Incidentally, Molly and I, with our three boys, have stolen from the the Moorhead Kane uh, pre-collegiate uh, experience, and every uh, one of the boys, the third Sam will go next year before ninth grade, 
has gone and done a Knowles experience for uh, for for 16 days because we feel so strongly, oh, yeah, so strongly in that premise of of self discovery before you go into an important life transition. So I think it's great that your your scholars get that opportunity before they even land here at uh, at Chapel Hill. Turns out one of the more interesting things about that experience is being offline for three weeks and four, three to four weeks. <laughs> right, is, these days. You know, these days, that's yeah. really highly unusual. No so, question about it. But that's good. And then, you know, they come here and do their first year at Carolina, and then the second summer they do public service somewhere in the world. And, and we we have about 75% uh, of our students go to a developing mm -hmm. country and work in primarily educational or mm -hmm. public health type of endeavors. And that's where we got connected initially, is that the rising sophomores who were at that time Moorhead Fellows were very involved in uh, the teaching at the Breakthrough Program, now, then called Summer Bridge, that I was starting. So they were coming to be teachers for me in, in our summer program. And you still send some out uh, to, to work in, in the Breakthrough Program these days. We do. And, you know, at the, at the time we were sending yeah. you know, tremendous two, number. two to three dozen yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, Fewer now. Right. And uh, so... That summer is followed by an individually designed summer. And junior, junior summer. Junior right. summer, uh, pre-junior summer. Mm -hmm. And so the students could really do an internship with a not-for-profit or a government agency, mm -hmm. or they could do uh, research <coughs> either on an informal or formal basis. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, essentially gives them an idea to s start exploring in a way or in a manner that they ordinarily and then mm -hmm. that's followed up by pre-professional experience the fourth summer. And typically what we hope that a student will do will try on a professional experience in a field that they think they want to go into mm -hmm. and uh, get some experience there. The foundation pays for all these summers, mm -hmm. so they're all done by grant. And in addition to that, Moorhead Kane scholars receive uh, access to a discovery fund, which is an independent grant-making process that we run out of the program. So if they are interested in doing individual research or if they uh, want to attend a conference or go visit with a prominent scholar, uh, go visit an alum and shout at them for a short period of time, They've they can apply to, for a grant. Yeah, the opportunity to do that. And, and of course, really, their, their school year experience feels just like any other Chapel Hill students. They have their majors and they go to their courses. You're not offering courses, but you have speakers that come in and you offer uh, seminars and gatherings for the for this for the fellows when they're when they're here on campus during the school year as well sure and we um, you know we think that the impact of our program is really high in terms of the life experience that one come or one has coming out of college yep. we feel like our students are two to three years ahead of the normal undergraduate just in what they've seen in the world no what question they've been able to experience I mean, really, they've had a chance to go set up um, uh, and live in three different cities yep. plus doing a, a wilderness experience. So that's been one of the primary out outcomes. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the foundation has such an incredible network now of uh, corporate partners, of public service partners that uh, you have built over the years of sending, sending students out that, uh, that you, you really have, give them a buffet of amazing life opportunities from which to choose. Well, in addition to that, we have 3,100 alumni. And that's a whole different powerful network, absolutely. A day doesn't, <laughs> a day doesn't go by where we're not referring uh, one of our yes. scholars to be in contact with one of our alumni who are very generous with their time. Yep. We, have a, we have a saying uh, that uh, we, we ask four things of our alumni. One is to 
is put the fact that you're a Moorhead Kane Scholar on your resume or bio. Number two is always take a call from a current scholar or another alum. And it's amazing how the, the students themselves who are on, you know, what have you done for me today, they're always amazed at how quickly the alumni get back to me. Yeah, it's a really, it's a very powerful network. We should um, maybe just interject here the brief bit of Texas history that ties into the Moorhead Foundation. I keep going back and forth between Moorhead Foundation and Moorhead Kane Foundation because, in fact, uh, in 2007, the Moorhead Foundation did change the name. And so why don't you tell our friends in Texas uh, the, 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 the bit of uh, your history that's intertwined with our state's history. Sure. So um, the Kane family out of Houston um, uh, decided that they were uh, uh, interested in joining forces with us to make the program bigger and better, and um, they uh, essentially uh, made a large, very large gift from their, uh, the Gordon and Mary Kane Foundation uh, to the Moorhead Kane Foundation, basically enable us to roughly double our size. Yeah, amazing. And uh, the, it's been a very wonderful uh, relationship and uh, a really great thing for UNC and the Moorhead Kane. Yeah, incredible, and, and neat to have that juxtaposition of, uh, of, of North Carolina and Texas there. So if a parent at, uh, at Parrish or any other parent that's listening isn't at this point uh, jumping through their, their earbuds uh, wondering how to get their, their child uh, involved in, in the program, I think we should talk a little bit about the admissions process. And, of course, I'm coming off having just spoken to Steve Farmer, and we know that uh, you know it, getting into Chapel Hill with 40,000 applicants and 82% of whom are going to be coming from the state of North Carolina at a 14% accept rate from outside the state of North Carolina, the fact that the Moorhead Kane uh, 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 scholars are some of the uh, best and brightest that uh, are coming from across the globe because you have both domestic and international students involved in the program uh, should I think pre-stage what we're going to talk about relative to the competitiveness of this but we should talk about the process for, for admission and, and how, uh, how you go about selecting um, the scholars each, each year. Sure well we, we start out with a paper application similar to uh, the, the normal college application but the difference is for students out of state, they're nominated by their school as opposed to an open application process. If the uh, student is not going to a nominating school, then they can be nominated by our admissions office uh, each year. But for the most part, we have about 650 schools out of state that we receive nominations from. Uh, we then go through a series of, uh, now for, for out-of-state students, we do asynchronous video interviews where evaluate the candidates responses to different questions that we pose to them primarily about character and leadership yeah and then we bring them to campus for a uh, two and a half three day visit in early March where they go through a series of interviews get to know the program get to know the current scholars and really try to decide whether UNC is a good fit for them so it's highly competitive we start out with about 2200 applications in a given year and we uh, this year we'll 70 in mm -hmm. class. We have 248 on campus right now, yep. and uh, we're in, in growing that. But essentially, uh, if you think about a, a college application with, uh, with an emphasis on leadership mm -hmm. and character mm -hmm. as opposed to just academics, yes. that would be us. Yes, and that leadership and character, I think physical vigor is important That's correct. Um, for you as well. So, but, uh, but we see academics and 
physical vigorous thresholds. You know, once you're once you've met the minimum threshold in those, can you do honors level college work? Right. And is physical uh, activity and physical fitness uh, an integral part of who you are? Right. If you pass those thresholds, then it's all about leadership and character. Yeah, the the kind of super candidates, and incidentally, Parish is a nominating school, and so if you have questions on how that works, definitely talk to the um, to the team in the Center for College and Life Planning, and they will tell you how we go through the nominating process each year and put candidates forward. Uh, we have, I think, since I got to Parish, maybe the year or two after, is when we, uh, knowing knowing what was offered here, I I uh, I, I strove to get us to be a nominating. Uh, our school that was nominated to send folks to you haven't had anybody yet, but we certainly hope and uh, one day that will happen. We're anxious to have that happen. <laughs> it would be, that would be great. That would be the full circle, wouldn't it? It yeah. would be the first full circle indeed, back to the mid '90s uh, and and uh, well into today. So it's been great to see you and to spend some time with you and uh, to have our. Uh, friends back in at Parish and in Dallas, anybody else who's listening to the podcast understand a little bit more about this truly um, amazing and transformational uh, program. I know several uh, folks who uh, who are Moorhead um, uh, scholars and have come through it and, and can speak uh, to, to the power of the experience on them. So thanks, sure. for, thanks we'll for having me. Visit us at moorheadcane.org. <laughs> Indeed, we'll do it. Uh, it's been great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Look forward to future editions of this podcast, which will feature my speaking to the community in the chapel space, some of my writing, and also, as in this edition, my visits to colleges and universities during this school year.